Uh, we're coming to the end of the Easter season, and uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful logic to the uh, liturgical year, um, where, which you can understand in terms of a, a circular view of time, uh, where, where midsummer or high noon is at the top of the circle, and midnight or midwinter is at the bottom. So you can map this circle onto the day or onto the year, um, and if you map it onto the year, then you will get this sense that the liturgical calendar tracks. We go from high noon down into darkness, where you get down to Christmas, which is right around midwinter, um, which is the point where uh, we, we end up in that sort of apocalyptic end of, the, end of time, great darkness, and then there's the birth of the spark of Christ in the, in the Christ child, but also in our hearts. And then we have this period that comes through Lent up to Easter, which is at the spring uh, equinox. And now we're heading through the season of Easter right up to just about midsummer. And so the logic is, is, um, is quite clear. And so we are now, uh, and, and, and the, the analogy that is being drawn by the liturgical calendar is that this is a map of the spiritual life that our life can be described, our spiritual life can be described as a journey through time around this circle into darkness and back out again. And the the thing that brings us out of the darkness is the birth of Christ in our hearts. It's uh, it's pretty clear. And, And whether you think of that as baptism or being born again or some other understanding of how Christ gets born in your heart, you, you can't get to the point where you know your need of God without going into the darkness. It's the darkness that brings about our desire for God and our desire for connection with God. We then begin the process of that connection. It starts as a baby. It's a very, it, it, has, a, it has a growth cycle. It starts, we become spiritual infants and then we have to grow into spiritual maturity. And as we grow through this other side of the, of the calendar and of this circular image of, uh, of the spiritual process through time, we come through to Um, the vision of perfect spiritual maturity, which is high noon, when there is full light, there's no darkness, which is the point of greatest closeness between us and God, the source of light. So God is the source of light. We are closest to God at at the top of the circle. We are farthest away at the bottom. And so as we move through this part of the, the, the cycle of time, we are getting into that, we are reflecting on that part of the spiritual journey um, of, of full integration between our being and God's being. Now, for most of us, this is highly academic because we are wallowing around somewhere in the darkness. Most of us are still very much struggling away with light and darkness, and we're probably past the point where Christ has been born in our hearts. Yes, we've accepted Christ. Christ is very active in us, but we are somewhere in Lent, really, mostly. Um, but for uh, but but the important thing for me today, even though I know that I and most of you, some of you may have gone past the Easter stage. Um, I, I like to think that, but I won't tell you who you are. Um, <laughs> uh, don't want it to go to your head. Um, but the, the folks really moving into spiritual maturity are on a different journey, that, that at some point the Easter, the, the, the old self really has been burnt away. There is nothing left of that old self. And there's only the new self that is growing in closeness with God. And so these are the people that I read, Thomas Merton, the, 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 you know, Henry Nouwen, the, the great writers that have inspired me, um, that they, they are the ones who are on that journey, that they, they, they're still imperfect, they're still human, but their humanity has been somehow transcended or transformed so that it really is the Holy Spirit working in and through them. And, and so they, we, they go through that last quadrant of the circle. 
And that's why we read from the Revelation to John. It's a vision of perfection. Um, and um, what, I, did, you know, I did a little research. I, I always need some inspiration for what to say on Sunday morning. And so I went on the Internet and I Googled the, um, Googled the passage from Revelation that we had this morning. And, of course, all the evangelical fundamentalist stuff comes up. And the big question was, well, if there's no curse, then why are the leaves for the healing of the nations? Because you won't need to heal anything because there won't be any disease anymore. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's not an instruction manual. It's... it's <laughs> It's the Middle East dreaming. Uh, and and, and to, when you read the Revelation of John, you have to think of it in terms of this is dream imagery from the Middle East. So the, uh, the, the, the water, the, 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 the water from the, uh, the, the, the tree of life and the, the river running through it, um, this is all a reference back to Genesis. It's, it's a new garden, but it's a city. And so you have the integration of that naive innocence, the beginning of the circle, the beginning when, you know, like being a baby, you're born, you are connected to your divine nature, but you're innocent, you're naive about it. You go into adulthood, you learn about how life is tough, you, you develop bad coping habits that become problems and sinfulness, and you have to work your way out of it through the spiritual journey. Um, so Genesis is at the beginning of that circular movement. And so the whole Bible follows that same trajectory. You start close to God, but naive. You, 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 you go for autonomy and self-determination. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. You can't, you know, can't tell me not to eat of the tree of life. It's good. I'm going to do it. And then, of course, you're kicked out of the garden and you start your journey. And so you can't get back into the garden. Remember, there's an angel with the flaming sword. You're not going back in that way. And usually sinfulness is trying to get back into the garden the way you came out of it. That's, that's always the mistake. We're going to take a shortcut. We're going to go this way. That'll get us back to the garden. And usually that leads to more and more sinfulness, pain, and sorrow. And uh, where we've come through the cycle and we're at the, at, um, the, the vision of Revelation, um, we've, we've, we're not naive anymore. The, the creation, humanity is not naive anymore in this scriptural journey. Um, and so we've gone from country to city. We've gone from hunter-gatherer to civilized, complex society. Um, and so what we have at the end of Revelation is this integration of city and country where you have a second naivete. You're back to the garden, but you're not the same as you were when you left it. But you've come into it in a new way with all of the history and the bruising and the scars that you've carried through your life journey. And so that is what I see in the writers who've inspired me, the, that they still are who they are. They're, they're not perfect. They are, um, uh, and, and they have been through hell, all of them. And yet... Carrying all of that, they have nonetheless said, you know, if, if I hadn't gone through all of that, I wouldn't be who I am, and I wouldn't be connected to God in the way that I am now. And so they're in that final quadrant. And that, that's where I look for that directionality of my spiritual life. Um, so I don't, I don't try to be perfect. Well, you know that. You've lived with me a long time. Um, it, it's not going to work. And me, the more I try to be perfect, the worse I get. So just forget it. Don't just, just be whoever you are. Whoever you are is good enough because that's who God made. And the trick is to orient yourself towards this, the, the kingdom of God, the, the city of God. It's a direction. It's always ahead of us. 
And of course, with the Middle East dreaming, you have these over-the-top images. You know, you don't you don't need religion. There's no temple. You don't need government because Christ's in charge. Um, you don't even need a sun or a moon because God Himself is providing the light. So, you know, it's a vision of completeness where everything on this side of creation has been superseded by something that is perfect, as if to say everything on on this side of the grave is somehow still going to be imperfect or broken or um, or inadequate or or falling short of the fullness of God's plan. So we can't step into the kingdom. To step into that city is inevitably to be to try to take the shortcut, to try to find the way back to the garden the wrong way. The only way into that city is forward, and that city is always ahead of us. So the so one point that I want to leave you with is the the fact that the vision in Revelation is is not ever going to be 100% achievable on this side of the grave. And that's very important because the moment we try to force it is the moment we start to do violence. The most classic example of that is the, the fundamentalist holy warrior that says, I'm going to take up arms and we're going to bring the kingdom of God onto this earth. That is, this has been formalized in certain Christian circles as... Um, Let's see if I get it right. Uh, Post-millennial dispensationalism. Some of you come from those backgrounds, so I'm probably going to mess this up. But if I understand it correctly, there's going to be a 1,000-year reign on earth. Um, There's a millennium of a a reign of righteousness, and then Christ will come. So the job is to get that reign happening, which means you've got to do what you can to take over government and you know, get rid of abortion and do all the things that make sure that we have Jesus' kingdom as we understand it right now. And, and of course, in the, uh, in the engagement with that, in the, try to, in the, in the trying to force the, the city of God to come down from the clouds right now on schedule, we end up doing violence and we end up becoming the opposite of what we desire. So the aheadness, the not-yetness of the city of God is a very important part, in my understanding, of Christian theology. And now I'm going to turn to the other thing that I want to say to you this morning, which is about the gospel reading, which is about the peace that is given to us by Jesus. That as Jesus is, again, in, in the scriptures, we're looking forward to Pentecost. Christ is talking about how I'm not going to be with you physically, but I'm still going to be with you, but in a different way. My father and I are going to come and live with you, dwell with you. Um, and so, you know, prepping the disciples for Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of God in us, which is where we are as church. We, we as church are the community in whom God is dwelling right now. And the, the, there are benefits to that. And Christ is talking about the benefits of being part of that, that new way of being that church is about. And one of the benefits of that is peace that to have Christ in us is to have peace. And that's the other part of what I'm thinking in, in, in the connection to Revelation and the aheadness of Revelation. The, there's, there's the peace that is, I think, the legitimate spiritual Christian journey, and there's the peace that is the false way back into Genesis the wrong way through the angel with the flaming sword. And there is a kind of uh, uh, there's a kind of peace, there's a misinterpretation of a human experience that we can call the peace of Christ, which I don't think is the peace of Christ. And again, it's a falling short, it's a shortcut, it's a settling for less. 
If we identify the peace of Christ with uh, feeling good, um, well, let's go really crass, getting rich. Uh, If if getting the peace of Christ means that God will bless us financially, um, but that's the shortcut. But it gets more subtle than that and uh, and more dangerous. Um, uh, that's, That's an easy one to dismiss. If we equate the peace of Christ with mental health, we're also falling short. There's a correlation between the peace of Christ and mental health. Yes, there is. But we can never think that that the reason that we are here is so that our mental health will be better. Um, uh, Whether it's mental health or social well-being or even community acceptance, I'm here because people love me. Um, I feel good when I'm in this crowd, right? That's true, but that's not why we're here. And when we identify the peace of Christ with our good feelings, when we put ourselves at the center of the, the system, we have lost our focus on the aheadness of the kingdom of God. It's really all about me at that point. If I stop feeling good because people aren't treating me the way I think I should be treated, then, well, what good is my church anyway? And it's, it's, about, it's all about me. And if I'm going to force it, I'm going to make my community the kind of place where I can feel good, then we become the holy warriors that, um, that do harm. So that peace of Christ can't be identified with anything less than some kind of spiritual connection with God, which is correlated with but is not identified with other more human benefits. Um, I, I mean, I do think there's a correlation between spiritual well-being and physical health and financial well-being and, and good relationships and all those things. It, there, there is a correlation, um, but it's somewhat paradoxical. It's when those things don't matter and what matters is the kingdom of God, then these other blessings come um, as side effects. And one of the keys to making sure that you've got your priorities straight is remembering that the kingdom of God is always ahead of us, that we're not, we're not going to get there, certainly not going to get there of our own power and our own forcing of anything. It's about, a, 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 it's about letting God do the heavy lifting. There's one last point, and I'm, I, it, it was there, and it just flew out of my head, so just be with me, bear with me as I get that last point back out of the recesses of my mind. Um, It's about, yes, the peace of God. Ah, I'm so sorry. It's gone. Absolutely gone. Well, just be yourself, I said, and here I am. Uh, So I I hope that you're following the chain of my thought. The thing that, that exercises me is that there's so many ways to get this so spectacularly wrong and do such harm when we interpret these really sacred, beautiful truths in ways that are... Um, um, are, are pernicious. Um, that, that when we say, oh yes, I'm all about the city of God, I'm all about doing the Lord's work, I'm all about having God inside me, I'm all about that, that feeling of peace. There we go, just came back. Um, that, 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 putting it to, that, that, that putting yourself as the reference point, my subjective experience is the thing that tells me whether I'm at peace or not. Because my, um, my understanding is that that the peace is somewhat different than your subjective experience of happiness or a- absence of a struggle. 
The piece is more about the lack of conflict between who you are and the direction you're going. That, that's the final point that, it, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for here, that that piece is about integration. It's about, um, it's about being in alignment, but it's being in alignment between, between who you are and where you're going. And if the kingdom of God is our direction, if we are headed towards that vision of a place where God is in charge and when there is no war, when we are loving God and loving neighbor in full and completeness, um, then, then we, we become in alignment. So if you think of it as a magnetic field, and if we're, if we're out of alignment with that field, there's always some kind of tension. We are not at peace. We are not... Um, uh, we, we are, are, are at war. We are disintegrated. We are, are discombobulated. And it's when we put ourselves in alignment. It's not that we're there, but it's that we are, we are aligned in that direction. And being in that direction is the kind of peace that I think that Jesus was talking about. That we're not there yet. We're not done. We're not fixed. We're not, we don't stop being sinners. We don't, don't have perfect lives. Uh, we still have all the experience of humanity that we go through, but because our orientation is different, there is a certain set of conflicts that we no longer have to deal with. Um, When you put yourself at the center of the universe, then you live in a zero-sum universe where other people's gain is your loss and and other people, you know, I I was just reading about Instagram. There's a new app for feeling good in social media and it's so going to (laughs) work. So... So that we, we as humans keep looking to feel good. We want to feel accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be, we want to be integrated. We want to have good mental health. We want to have all those things. Um, but as long as we are making ourselves the measure of it, we're going to fail. We're going to be uh, in conflict with what we were meant to be, which are creatures of love and care. That when our, when our orientation is towards the love of God and love of neighbor, then, then there are things that we no longer have to fight about. We, we don't live in a zero-sum universe anymore, for example. We live in a universe of blessing. That when we are aligned towards the care of others, not the, the good feelings for ourselves, then we accept the fact that our life will have pain and suffering in it. We, we know that we will die. That, that's normal. And we don't, we're not afraid of it because we accept it as normal. We say, that's not the point. The point is not for me to have a life free of suffering and then where I never die and I live forever. Um, the point is to go through this journey in love with my fellow human and with all creation. And if I do that, then there's a whole bunch of things that just fall away. They're no longer important and I'm no longer fussed about them. And so that's, a, that's that that. that approximation of the fullness of peace that Christ promises when Christ comes to dwell within us. It's about that alignment of purpose. That, that's, thank, thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I wanted to get to. It's about meaning and purpose. It's about being in alignment with that meaning and purpose. And that, for me, is the spiritual meaning of the peace of Christ that Christ came to give us and that we all already participate in at some level. And the goal of this part of the quadrant of this liturgical year is to live more deeply into that reality. That in this world where there is no peace, when when we struggle with all the issues that cause us to be afraid, if we 
just remind ourselves that our alignment is towards love of God and love of neighbor, then there will be that benefit of peace, even if it is not measurable in terms of mental health or wealth or all those other things. So that's what I have to share with you this morning. I hope that is helpful. And in all of this, I have uh, meditated in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.